Ah, there we go. Hello, wonderful people. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories, and I look ridiculous. I've got a, uh, I've got a real pink face right now. I'm going to get that sorted out. I got a last minute phone call, so it's been a tough time to prep, but today is going to be it's going to be all about that. Today is going to be all about peace and expectations. All right? <laughs> Just a second. Uh horrible noise inbound. Hopefully you guys couldn't hear that too well. Okay, so today, who knows what's going to happen. I've been having all kinds of weirdo um, issues with the internet and, um, you know, trying to get my sound sorted out, trying to get the, the internet to stay up throughout, throughout a whole stream. I'm going to be honest, I don't know how, how today's going to go, but we're going to proceed anyway. I'm excited, I'm prepared, and you know what? It gets me down a little bit when... I can't get these streams to work properly because I really enjoy doing them. But today, it's going to be peaceful. No matter what happens, it's going to be at peace. Now, anybody who uh, was here last week, <laughs> oh boy, uh, knows that I got sorted, so you should go back and watch that one. That little train wreck, that little internet train wreck, if you'd like to see Sam get sorted. I may have to start wearing yellow from now on. Again, I think I would have been Ravenclaw back in the day. And I still don't know which one of those to kind of be loyal to. I definitely would have asked to be in Ravenclaw. I would have considered that important. I would have considered that to be the place where I felt like I could do the most. That would have been important to me. I don't know. We'll see. We're going to talk about it. Probably not at length, but okay. Today, we are actually, really, for real, getting into... Book three of Harry Potter. That is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, I am just absolutely stoked. I'm absolutely stoked. I love where this book starts to take the series and the world. I love to see that um, we get to take a peek at what's happening outside of Hogwarts in the wizarding world. I think that's just important as what's going on inside, sometimes even more important. And of course, as the series goes on, it continues to get more important. So having this little first glimpse of things outside of school is fantastic. It's a good parallel as well between, uh, you know, what kind of the average, the average school career is like. As you get older, you do start to understand things outside of school a little bit better. You've got a little bit more context for what's happening in the world at large, whether that's politics or culture, art, music, what have you. Your, your focus starts to expand as you're in school. Things don't stay all about school, which is excellent. So year three in the American system, the equivalent would be eighth grade, um, which if anybody has seen that movie, eighth grade, uh, the one directed by Bo Burnham came out pretty recently, go ahead and let me know what you think of it in the comments because I'm interested. I've been hearing really good things about it. Um, now, as always, while I'm going, please feel free to uh, put any questions or comments into the chat. I would love to talk about anything. Um, I might pause and talk about it in the middle of the reading. I might, you know, wait until kind of a good breaking point so we can actually put a full stop and discuss it. But 
I enjoyed the discussion absolutely as much as any of the uh, the reading or the voices, and so yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and uh, put anything you'd like to talk about in the chat. With that said, I don't think we're going to hesitate much today. I think I'm going to give a real quick rundown on what happened in book two, like real quick, and then we're going to uh, we're going to move on, and we're going to start. Uh, book three. Man, just saying that is really exciting. Okay, so, book two. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Um, it's a big deal. They've got a new teacher, a new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, Gilderoy Lockhart. That voice is so much fun to do. Um, and as school goes on, uh, there starts to be some conflict. We learn a word for the first time, mudbloods. It's a terrible word, uh, describing somebody who isn't of pure magical lineage their parents you know one of them might have been a wizard or neither of them were wizards but they don't come from you know one of those pure blood wizarding families and the school is divided on this issue because there's there's a monster we see uh we see messages written in blood on the walls, and we see all sorts of strange things happening around the school. People are being petrified. It starts with a cat and then moves its way up. A, a ghost gets petrified. And by the end, we find out this is another one of Voldemort's old tricks. As a 16-year-old, back when Voldemort was just becoming Lord Voldemort, slowly, slowly transforming from the boy he was, Tom Riddle, into the man he would become, Lord Voldemort. Uh, Tom Riddle, at 16, put his sort of his soul into a diary, and that diary was slipped into Ginny Weasley's school things by Draco Malfoy's father, Lucius Malfoy, um, over the course of the year. The spirit of 16-year-old Tom Riddle slowly corrupted Ginny, tricked her into doing some things, and uh, opened the Chamber of Secrets. There was a basilisk, which is an enormous snake that can kill you and petrify you with its eyes. Um, and Harry has to go down and defeat this 16-year-old spirit of Voldemort from the book, from the, uh, from the diary. He succeeds in doing so, and the school is saved, obviously. But, you know, if we, if we think about what happened in book one as well, don't say his name, says Rachel. Shh, don't say his name. I'm going to be honest. I like what Voldemort says about it. Nope, 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 not Voldemort. I like what Dumbledore says about it, which is that, uh, you know, being afraid of a name gives the name too much power. Say the name. Say Voldemort. And obviously, I don't just mean in Harry Potter world either. I think... Uh, you know, being afraid to say anybody's name means it's time to stop being afraid of that thing. I think we're going to start. Let's start, shall we? I'm excited. Alright. Let me make sure I've got my book queued up properly here. Ugh, I've got a new system for marking my, uh, like where I, where I change the scenes, where I turn the pages as far as you guys can see it, and it's so much better. Okay. I'm ready. You guys ready? Let's do this. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban 
Chapter 1 Owl Post Harry Potter was a highly unusual boy in many ways. For one thing, he hated the summer holidays more than any other time of year. For another, he really wanted to do his homework, but was forced to do it in secret, in the dead of night. And he also happened to be a wizard. It was nearly midnight, and he was lying on his stomach in bed, the blankets drawn right over his head like a tent, a flashlight in one hand and a large leather-bound book, A History of Magic by Batilda Bagshot, propped open against the pillow. Harry moved the tip of his eagle-feather quill down the page, frowning as he looked for something that would help him write his essay, which burning in the fourteenth century was completely pointless. Discuss. The quill paused at the top of a likely-looking paragraph. Harry pushed his round glasses up the bridge of his nose, moved his flashlight closer to the book, and read. Non-magical people, more commonly known as muggles, were particularly afraid of magic in medieval times, but not very good at recognizing it. On the rare occasion that they did catch a real witch or wizard, burning had no effect whatsoever. The witch or wizard would perform a basic flame-freezing charm and then pretend to shriek with pain while enjoying a gentle tickling sensation. Indeed, Wendelin the Weird enjoyed being burned so much that she allowed herself to be caught no less than forty-seven times in various disguises. Harry put his quill between his teeth and reached underneath his pillow for an ink bottle and a roll of parchment. Slowly and very carefully, he unscrewed the ink bottle, dipped the quill into it, and began to write, pausing every now and then to listen, because if any of the Dursleys heard the scratching of his quill on their way to the bathroom, he'd probably find himself locked in the cupboard under the stairs for the rest of the summer. The Dursley family of Number 4, Privet Drive, was the reason that Harry never enjoyed his summer holidays. Uncle Vernon, Aunt Petunia, and their son, Dudley, were Harry's only living relatives. They were muggles, and they had a very medieval attitude toward magic. Harry's dead parents, who had been a witch and wizard themselves, were never mentioned under the Dursley's roof. For years, Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon had hoped that if they kept Harry as downtrodden as possible, they would be able to squash the magic out of him. To their fury, they had been unsuccessful. These days, they lived in terror of anyone finding out that Harry had spent most of his last two years at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The most they could do, however, was to lock away Harry's spellbooks, wand, cauldron, and broomstick at the start of the summer break, and forbid him to talk to the neighbors. This separation from his spellbooks had been a real problem for Harry, because his teachers at Hogwarts had given him a lot of holiday—because his teachers at Hogwarts had given him a lot of holiday work. One of the essays, a particularly nasty one about shrieking potions. Shrieking potions. One of the essays, a particularly nasty one about shrinking potions, was for Harry's least favorite teacher, Professor Snape, who would be delighted to have an excuse to give Harry detention for a month. Harry had therefore seized this chance in the first week of the holidays, while Uncle Vernon, Aunt Petunia, and Dudley had gone out to the front garden to admire Uncle Vernon's new company car, in very loud voices, so that the rest of the street would notice too. Harry had crept downstairs, picked the lock on the cupboard underneath the stairs, grabbed some of his books, and hidden them in his bedroom. As long as he didn't leave spots of ink on the sheets, 
The Dursleys need never know he was studying magic by night. Harry was particularly keen to avoid trouble with his aunt and uncle at the moment, as they were already in an especial as they were already in an especially bad mood with him, all because he'd received a telephone call from a fellow wizard one week into the school vacation. Ron Weasley, who was one of Harry's best friends at Hogwarts, came from a whole family of wizards. This meant he knew a lot of things Harry didn't, but he had never used a telephone before. Most unluckily, it had been Uncle Vernon who had answered the call. Vernon Dursley speaking. Harry, who happened to be in the room at the time, froze as he heard Ron's voice answer. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? I want to talk to Harry Potter. Ron was yelling so loudly that Uncle Vernon jumped and held the receiver a foot away from his ear, staring at it with an expression of mingled fury and alarm. Who is this? He roared in the direction of the mouthpiece. Who are you? Ron Weasley! Ron bellowed back, as though he and Uncle Vernon were speaking from opposite ends of a football field. I'm a friend of Harry's from school! Uncle Vernon's small eyes swiveled around to Harry, who was rooted to the spot. There's no Harry Potter here! He roared now holding the receiver at arm's length, as though frightened it might explode. I don't know what school you're talking about. Never contact me again. Don't you come near my family. And he threw the receiver back onto the telephone, as if dropping a poisonous spider. The fight that had followed had been one of the worst ever. How dare you give this number to people like... people like you! Uncle Vernon had roared, spraying Harry with spit. Ron obviously realized he had gotten Harry into trouble, because he hadn't called again. Harry's other best friend from Hogwarts, Hermione Granger, hadn't been in touch either. Harry suspected that Ron had warned Hermione not to call, which was a pity, because Hermione, the cleverest witch in Harry's ear, had muggle parents, knew perfectly well how to use a telephone, and would probably have enough sense not to say she went to Hogwarts. So Harry had had no word from any of his wizarding friends for five long weeks, and this summer was turning out to be almost as bad as the last one. There was just one very small improvement. After swearing he wouldn't use her to send letters to any of his friends, Harry had been allowed to let Hedwig, his owl, out at night. Uncle Vernon had given in... Uncle Vernon had given in because of the racket Hedwig made if she was locked up in her cage all the time. Harry finished writing about Wendell and the Weird and paused to listen again. The silence in the dark house was broken only by the distant, grunting snores of his enormous cousin, Dudley. It must be very late, Harry thought. His eyes were itching with tiredness. Perhaps he'd finish this essay tomorrow night. He replaced the top of his ink bottle, pulled an old pillowcase from under his bed, put the flashlight, a history of magic, his essay, quill, and ink inside it, got out of bed, and hid the lot under a loose floorboard under his bed. Then he stood up, stretched, and checked the time on the luminous alarm clock on his bedside table. It was one o'clock in the morning. Harry's stomach gave a funny jolt. 
He had been thirteen years old, without realizing it, for a whole hour. Yet another unusual thing about Harry was how little he looked forward to his birthdays. He had never received a birthday card in his life. The Dursleys had completely ignored his last two birthdays, and he had no reason to suppose, to suppose they would remember this one. Harry walked across the dark room, past Hedwig's large empty cage, to the open window. He leaned on the sill, the cool night air pleasant on his face after a long time under the blankets. Hedwig had been absent for two nights now. Harry wasn't worried about her. She'd gone long like... She'd been gone this long before, but he hoped she'd be back soon. She was the only living creature in this house who didn't flinch at the sight of him. Harry, though still rather small and skinny for his age, had grown a few inches over the last year. His jet-black hair, however, was just as it has always been, stubbornly untidy, whatever he did to it. The eyes behind his glasses were bright green, and on his forehead, clearly visible through his hair, was a thin scar, shaped like a bolt of lightning. Of all the unusual things about Harry, his scar was the most extraordinary of all. It was not, as the Dursleys had pretended for ten years, a souvenir of the car crash that had killed Harry's parents, because Lillian James Potter had not died in a car crash. They had been murdered. Murdered by the most feared dark wizard for a hundred years, Lord Voldemort. Harry had escaped from the same attack with nothing more than a scar on his forehead, where Voldemort's curse, instead of killing him, had rebounded upon its originator. Barely alive, Voldemort had fled. But Harry had come face to face with him at Hogwarts. Remembering their last meeting as he stood at the dark window, Harry had to admit he was lucky to have even reached his thirteenth birthday. He scanned the starry sky for a sign of Hedwig, perhaps soaring back to him with a dead mouse dangling from her beak, expecting praise. Gazing absently over the rooftops, it was a few seconds before Harry realized what he was seeing. Silhouetted against the golden moon, and growing larger every moment, was a large, strangely lopsided creature, and it was flapping in Harry's direction. He stood quite still, watching it sink lower and lower. For a split second he hesitated, his hand on the window latch, wondering whether to slam it shut. But then this bizarre creature soared over one of the street lamps of Privet Drive, and Harry, realizing what it was, leapt aside. Through the window soared three owls, two of them holding up the third, which appeared to be unconscious. They landed with a soft flump on Harry's bed, and the middle owl, which was large and gray, keeled right over and lay motionless. There was a large package tied to its legs. Harry recognized the unconscious owl at once. His name was Errol, and he belonged to the Weasley family. Harry dashed to the bed, untied the cords around, Harry, around Errol's legs, took off the parcel, and then carried Errol to Hedwig's cage. Errol opened one bleary eye, gave a feeble hoot of thanks, and began to gulp some water. Harry turned to the remaining owls. One of them, the large snowy female, was his own Hedwig. She too was carrying a parcel and looked extremely pleased with herself. 
She gave Harry an affectionate nip with her beak as he removed her burden, then flew across the room to join Errol. Harry didn't recognize the third owl, a handsome, tawny one, but he knew at once where it had come from, because in addition to a third package it was carrying a letter bearing the Hogwarts crest. When Harry relieved this owl of its burden, it ruffled its feathers importantly, stretched its wings, and took off through the window into the night. Harry sat down in his bed and grabbed Errol's package, ripped off the brown paper, and discovered a present wrapped in gold, and his first ever birthday card. Fingers trembling slightly, he opened the envelope. Two pieces of paper fell out, a letter and a newspaper clipping. The clipping had clearly come out of the wizarding newspaper, the Daily Prophet, because the people in the black and white picture were moving. Harry picked up the clipping, smoothed it out, and read, Ministry of Magic Employee Scoops Grand Prize. Arthur Weasley, head of the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts Office at the Ministry of Magic, has won the annual Daily Prophet Grand Prize Galleon Draw. A delighted Mr. Weasley told the Daily Prophet, We will be spending the gold on a summer holiday in Egypt, where our eldest son, Bill, works as a curse-breaker for Gringotts Wizarding Bank. The Weasley family will be spending a month in Egypt, returning for the start of the new school year at Hogwarts, which five of the Weasley children currently attend. Harry scanned the moving photograph, and a grin spread across his face as he saw all nine of the Weasleys waving furiously at him, standing in front of a large pyramid. Plump little Mrs. Weasley, tall, balding Mr. Weasley, six sons and one daughter, all, though the black and white picture didn't show it, with flaming red hair. Right in the middle of the picture was Ron, tall and gangling, with his pet rat, Scabbers, on his shoulder, and his arm around his little sister, Ginny. Harry couldn't think of anyone who deserved to win a large pile of gold more than the Weasleys, who were very nice and extremely poor. He picked up Ron's letter and unfolded it. Dear Harry, happy birthday. Look, I'm really sorry about that telephone call. I hope the muggles didn't give you a hard time. I asked Dad, and he reckons I shouldn't have shouted. It's amazing here in Egypt. Bill's taken us all around the tombs, and you wouldn't believe the curses those old Egyptian wizards put on them. Mum wouldn't let Ginny come in the last one. There were all these mutant skeletons in there, of muggles who had broken in and grown extra heads and stuff. You wouldn't believe it when... Oh, I couldn't believe it when Dad won the Daily Prophet draw. Seven hundred galleons. Most of it's gone on this trip, but they're going to buy me a new wand for next year. Harry remembered all too well the occasion when Ron's old wand had snapped. It had happened when the car the two of them had been flying to Hogwarts in had crashed into a tree on the school grounds. We'll be back about a week before term starts and we'll be going up to London to get my wand and our new books. Any chance of meeting you there? Don't let the muggles get you down. Try and come to London. Ron. P.S. Percy's head boy. He got the letter last week. Harry glanced back at the photograph. Percy, who was in his seventh and final year at Hogwarts, was looking particularly smug. He had pinned his head boy badge to the fez perched jauntily on top of his neat hair, his horn-rimmed glasses flashing in the Egyptian sun. Harry now turned to his present and unwrapped it. Inside was what looked like a miniature glass spinning top. There was another note from Ron beneath it, 
Harry, this is a pocket sneakoscope. If there's someone untrustworthy around, it's supposed to light up and spin. Bill says it's rubbish sold for wizard tourists, and it's not reliable, because it kept lighting up at dinner last night. But he didn't realize Fred and George had put beetles in his soup. Bye, Ron. Harry put the pocket sneakoscope on his bedside table, where it stood quite still, balanced on its point, reflecting the luminous hands of his clock. He looked at it happily for a few seconds, then picked up the parcel Hedwig had brought. Inside this, too, was a wrapped present, a card, and a letter, this time from Hermione. Dear Harry, Ron wrote to me and told me about his phone call to your Uncle Vernon. I do hope you're all right. I'm on holiday in France at the moment, and I don't know how I was going to send this to you. What if they'd opened it at customs? But then Hedwig turned up. I think she wanted to make sure you got something for your birthday, for a change. I bought your present by owl order. There was an advertisement in the Daily Prophet. I've been getting it delivered. It's so good to keep up with what's going on in the wizarding world. Did you see that picture of Ron and his family a week ago? I bet he's learning loads. I'm really jealous. The ancient Egyptian wizards were fascinating. There's some interesting local history of witchcraft here, too. I've rewritten my whole History of Magic essay to include some of the things I've found out. I hope it's not too long. It's two rolls of parchment more than Professor Binns asked for. Ron says he's going to be in London for the last week of holidays. Can you make it? Will your aunt and uncle let you come? I really hope you can. If not, I'll see you on the Hogwarts Express on September 1st. Love from Hermione. P.S. Ron says Percy's head boy. I'll bet Percy's really pleased. Ron doesn't seem too happy about it. Harry laughed as he put Hermione's letter aside and picked up her present. It was very heavy. Knowing Hermione, he was sure it would be a large book full of very difficult spells. But it wasn't. His heart gave a huge bound as he ripped back the paper and saw a sleek black leather case with silver words stamped across it reading broomstick servicing kit. Wow, Hermione, Harry whispered, unzipping the case to look inside. There was a large jar of Fleetwood's high-finished handle polish, a pair of gleaming silver tail-twig clippers, a tiny brass compass to clip to your broom for long journeys, and a handbook of do-it-yourself broom care. Apart from his friends, the thing that Harry missed most about Hogwarts was Quidditch, the most popular sport in the magical world, highly dangerous, very exciting, and played on broomsticks. Harry happened to be very good at Quidditch. He had been one of the youngest people in a century to be picked for one of Hogwarts' house teams. One of Harry's most prized possessions was his Nimbus 2000 racing broom. Harry put the leather case aside and picked up the last parcel. He recognized the untidy scrawl at the brown paper at once. This was from Hagrid, the Hogwarts gamekeeper. He tore off the top layer of paper and glimpsed something green and leathery, but before he could unwrap it properly, the parcel gave a strange quiver, and whatever it was inside snapped loudly, as though it had jaws. Harry froze. He knew that Hagrid would never send him anything dangerous on purpose, but then Hagrid didn't have a normal person's view of what was dangerous. Hagrid had been known to prevent giant spiders, buy vicious three-headed dogs from men in pubs, and sneak illegal dragon eggs into his cabin. 
Harry poked the parcel nervously. It snapped loudly again. Harry reached for the lamp on his bedside table, gripped it firmly in one hand and raised it over his head, ready to strike. Then he seized the rest of the wrapping paper in his other hand and pulled. And out fell... a book. Harry just had time to register its handsome green cover, emblazoned with the golden title, The Monster Book of Monsters, before it flipped onto its edge and scuttled sideways across the bed like some weird crab. Uh-oh, Harry muttered. The book toppled off the bed with a loud clunk and shuffled rapidly across the room. Harry followed it stealthily. The book was hiding in the dark space under his desk. Praying that the Dursleys were still fast asleep, Harry got down on his hands and knees and reached for it. Ouch! The book snapped shut in his hand and then flapped past him, still scuttling on its covers. Harry scrambled around, threw himself forward and managed to flatten it. Uncle Vernon gave a loud, sleepy grunt in the room next door. Hedwig and Arrow watched interestedly as Harry clamped the struggling book tightly in his arms, hurried to his chest of drawers, and pulled out a belt, which he buckled tightly around it. The monster book shuddered angrily, but could no longer flap and snap, so Harry threw it down on the bed and reached for Hagrid's card. Dear Harry, happy birthday. Think this might find... Mm. Let's try that again. Dear Harry, happy birthday. Think you might find this useful for next year. Won't say no more here. Tell you when I see you. Hope the Muggles are treating you right. All the best, Hagrid. It struck Harry as ominous that Hagrid thought a biting book would come in useful, but he put Hagrid's card up next to Ron's and Hermione's, grinning more broadly than ever. Now there was only the letter from Hogwarts left. Noticing that it was rather thicker than usual, Harry slid open the envelope, pulled out the first page of parchment within, and read, Dear Mr. Potter, Please note that the new school year will begin on September the 1st. The Hogwarts Express will leave from King's Cross Station, Platform 9 and 3 quarters, at 11 o'clock. Third years are permitted to visit the village of Hogsmeade on certain weekends. Please give the enclosed permission form to your parent or guardian to sign. A list of books for next year is enclosed. Yours sincerely, Professor McGonagall, Deputy Headmistress. Harry pulled out the Hogsmeade permission form and looked at it, no longer grinning. It would be wonderful to visit Hogsmeade on weekends. He knew it was an entirely wizarding village, and he had never set foot there. But how on earth was he going to persuade Uncle Vernon or Aunt Petunia to sign the form? He looked over at the alarm clock. It was now two o'clock in the morning. Deciding that he'd worry about the Hogsmeade form when he woke up, Harry got back into bed and reached off. Harry got back into bed and reached up to cross off another day on the chart he'd made for himself, counting down the days until his return to Hogwarts. And he took off his glasses and lay down, eyes open, facing his three birthday cards. Extremely unusual though he was, at that moment Harry Potter felt just like everyone else. Glad, for the first time in his life, that it was his birthday. That's the end of chapter one.
We're doing it. We're into the third book. Good grief. I can't I can't believe we made it this far. I'm going to be honest. All right, let's go back to the library. How much how much does my face crowd in on you guys when I get focused in on reading? All right. Now, I'm going to take a break. And when I come back from break, I've got some mail to open up. I've had it for like three weeks now. Some streaming stuff has prevented me from opening it, but I was given instructions to open it on stream, and so I shall. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break. While I'm gone, if anyone has any questions, comments, or concerns, I would love to talk about them. Go ahead and put anything you like into the chat, and we'll talk about it as soon as I get back. If not, I'm just going to talk about something random, so... This is really in your hands, is what I'm saying. Uh, this is up to you. So, if you don't want to be bored by whatever I decide to talk about later, you have some responsibilities, alright? This isn't just a lark on Sunday nights that we do here. This is a... Uh... No, this is a lark. I hope you're enjoying it, though. I'll see you in about five minutes. Bye-bye. And I'm back. Hello, wonderful people. Ooh, lots of chat today. Okay, so, let's talk about it. Actually, I don't know, do I want to do that first, or do we want to do mail first? Chat. We're going to do chat first. <laughs> um, okay, so, alright, uh, stream looks good, excellent, hasn't glitched, that is wonderful news. I think the uh, I think I think the YouTube dashboard lies to me. Sometimes it tells me it's all it's red and uh, you know not getting enough info, it's, and it'll be stuttery on your ends. But it's popped up a couple of times. Doesn't sound like that's the case. Okay, do you like the books more or the characters more? Um, hmm, I'm not sure how to answer that. I think that's I think that's I don't know. That's a tough question. I think the the characters kind of make the books. I think that's true of most things. Like, uh, if I if I'm dealing with characters that aren't great, typically I don't love the book. And if I'm dealing with great characters, then that helps me like the book a lot. Um, I don't know. I guess if there was any way to answer that question, I'll say that when I don't like characters, it's typically because um, they do stuff that the character just wouldn't do. It's it it gets really bad in TV shows. Um, where you'll have somebody, you know, somebody who's an intelligent character just make just an awful stupid decision toward the end of an episode or toward the end of a season that just messes up everybody's life because otherwise the show would be over. So, don't like that. Uh, what was the book for? We don't know yet. It's from Hagrid. Um, it's crawling around on Harry Potter's floor. Uh, it's got teeth, it looks like. Uh, pretty disturbing image, I imagine, a, a book that's doing that. Um, but we don't know yet. We don't know what it's for. We just know that Hagrid thinks it'll be useful at some point. Eh, we don't know when. Alright, how does Hermione's parents not know she's a witch? Don't they send her off to school every year? They do know she's a witch. Um, we actually meet them a little bit later on. Uh, I won't talk about that too much. It's not a huge part of the story, but uh, yeah, we meet them later on. They know. They know. How many Weasley kids are there? Um, okay. Uh, 
I can't remember if it's Bill and then Charlie or Charlie then Bill, but Bill, Charlie, Percy, Fred, George, Ron, and Ginny. So, two, four, six. Hey, would you look at that? <laughs> um, if there's only one wand that a witch... Oh, if there's only one wand that a witch slash wizard can have... Oh, and then there's only one perfect one. How can Ron get another one? I don't think that's exactly the case. I think the situation is, it's not so much that there's one wand that's perfect. I think it's that, um, let's see, I, think, I believe Ollivander said it as, the wand chooses you. So, it's possible, just like you could have, you know, two great pets throughout a lifetime. Like, you could have two two pets that you love and you you know get along with you might have a slightly different relationship with them but you know uh i think i think it's not a matter of there being one perfect wand that's how i'll say it and your picture's glitched a tiny tiny bit but the whole stream in and of itself hasn't glitched once the circle of doom hasn't appeared at all excellent circle of doom is exactly what we're trying to avoid yes okay so that's that um, I'm going to do mail, and then I'm going to do uh, a super quick summary, because it was a super quick chapter, and then we're going to start chapter two of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. We're in book three. It's super exciting. Just a second. Let me find my mail. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Okay, so here it is. I don't want to show you the front, because it's got my address on it. Oops, there it is. I didn't know they knew. Oh, is the Circle of Doom showing up? Oh, were you talking about Hermione's parents? Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so, let's get this opened up. It is um, it is particularly well secured, I'll say that. Um, it has the, the Hogwarts seal on it, which I think is one of my favorite parts of this. I love, uh, a little bit like Maria from... Sound of Music. I really do love brown paper packages, but uh, it's got the little Hogwarts wax seal on it, which is fantastic. Okay, got that side open. Trying to be delicate. I don't know what's in here. The last one, I had some some idea of like the shape and everything, but this one I've got absolutely no inkling what I'm getting into. So let's find out. Okay, it's well packed. There's a note. Oh goodness, it's from Charles Weasley. From Romania via the Ministry of Magic. Okay, don't know which to open up first. Hold on, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, before I open this, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, read through the card. Again, expertly sealed. You'd expect that from a uh, from somebody whose dad's in the ministry, I think. All right, these handmade these handmade envelopes, I I go bonkers over these things. <laughs> Look at that! I love it. Oh, weird! It's got like I guess enough green in it to make it invisible against my background. That's spooky. All right, so. Here's the letter I have received from Charlie Weasley. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. It's awesome. 
I love it. Okay. Dear Samuel, I, Charlie Weasley, I've decided to write to you. Currently, I'm sitting in a dragon scale inspired chair. To be honest, to be honest, it is not too comfortable. I'm sitting in the observation room right now. It's my favorite room in this whole sanctuary. The Romanian Dragon Sanctuary, to be exact. I'm writing this letter between two different lectures right now. I just finished a lecture titled Common Welsh Green. I'm sure you know that it was a, uh, what it was about based on the title. This lecture was about the Welsh Green Dragon. I thought that the most interesting part was when we learned that in 1932, a rogue Common Welsh Dragon flew onto a beach of sunbathing muggles. Their memories were subsequently wiped by a vacationing family of wizards who were fortuitously at the scene. Anyway, I'm most excited about my next lecture. This next one is called Ukrainian Iron Belly. We're going to learn all about them and about how this dragon is the largest breed in the wizarding world. It has metallic gray scales, deep red eyes, and long, vicious talons. The bell just rang, gotta go. And then uh, I assume he, he must have come back to finish writing me the letter. Wow, that was some lecture. I just found out that although it was never verified, the dragon in Gringotts may be a Ukrainian iron belly. The best part of the lecture was the end. It was only the end because we got a special gift from our professor. Professor Midas Watts is of Greek and Irish descent, is 84 years old, and has been studying these dragons ever since he was 16 years old. This is some excellent detail he's given me here. <laughs> I love this. Uh, anyways, he gave all of us a real Ukrainian iron belly dragon egg. My friend Hugo is allergic to them, so he gave me his egg. Professor Watts. Watts, I believe. I, I'm fairly sure it's Watts. Yeah. Professor Watts got all the eggs from his dragon that he keeps in the sanctuary. Since I have no need for two eggs, I am presenting you with one. What now? Hold on, what now? Um... I've been contacted by Hagrid at the Ministry of Magic and have been asked to compose a gift for you as part of their HPPS program. Harry Potter presents for Sam... Oh, Harry Potter presents for Sam program. <laughs> I have chosen to gift you with this egg mostly because someone named Rachel had contacted me and told me that if you were a dragon, you would be a Ukrainian iron belly. <laughs> I hope that this dragon hasn't hatched by the time it gets to you. It isn't due to hatch for a few more weeks, so you should be fine. Thanks for keeping up the good work. P.S. Sometimes the scales fall off the egg. The scales are very sharp, so be careful, please. <laughs> Sincerely, Charles Weasley. That is awesome. Okay. All right. Now, <laughs> if, <laughs> if there's a dragon egg in this box, which I haven't, if I, I haven't taken the paper off yet, if there's a dragon egg in here that was supposed to hatch a few weeks from when this letter was written, I may be in deep trouble tonight. <laughs> There's a possibility that uh, I'm in trouble. Okay, so let me let me try. I think this is important to, to try and get it on camera at least. Let me angle this down. Okay. Let's see. All right. So there's an. It's like it's like gold reflective paper. So I think it's giving off just enough greenishness to holy holy goodness. Are you kidding? Oh, cool. It's even like, are you serious? This thing is awesome. Come here. You. 
cute one. Come look at this thing. Look at this. Look at this. I'm going to turn off my green screen in just a second. This is the, the, I think this is now one of my favorite things that I own. This is going to be on every desk ever. I'm going to turn off my green screen so you guys stop getting that reflective element. But, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Look at this. Okay, hold on. Let me turn off my green screen so that, that is my knife, not my mouse. Hold on. Would you like to see this letter from... From Charlie Weasley. I'm saying his name perfectly, or so you've heard. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Um, are you some sort of liaison for the the Harry Potter presents for Sam <laughs> program? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so I have to go to here. Um, okay, there. That's off. Look at that. Look at it. It's get, it's still getting like weird light off of my my uh lighting setup. That's okay. What if I do this? Uh that uh, that takes some of the the weirdness off, but look at that. That is awesome. That is awesome. It's got like a great weight to it, too. It's not like strangely light or anything. I I love this thing. I love it. Oh, good grief. If I had a better streaming setup, I would I would want like a whole shelf behind me of stuff and this would be like this would be the centerpiece. This is my Ukrainian iron belly egg. And truly this thing is awesome. I love this thing. <laughs> it's so cool. Touch it. Do it. Do it. That's fantastic. Okay. All right. All right. Fascinating, fascinating uh, presence aside. Uh, let me let me turn this stuff back on so I look like vaguely human again. Let me bounce back to this here. That's so cool. That's so stinking cool. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Now. Gotta get serious. Gotta get focused back in. <laughs> it's perfect for this. Excellent. Okay. All right. All right. Gotta get, I gotta get focused back in. Let me get rid of my knife. I'm gonna pack this back away so it stays safe. Uh, and so I can figure out where and how I'm going to display it later on back in the gold paper all right so uh <laughs> Rachel says yes I am I'm in the group chat with the Ministry of Magic <laughs> okay so Rachel thank you so much for coordinating this this uh this delivery process, getting me in contact with the Weasleys. I gotta get this box shut back up. Okay, the paper was fighting me. All right, that's awesome. A, B, 
uh, we still have a second chapter to read. That's A and B. Okay. I want to get that put up. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. Okay. All right. All right. Focus. So. We've read chapter one. We are getting on into chapter two. But one thing I wanted to pick out, and I kind of like this. A, fall is my favorite time of year. So that makes it easy. B, my birthday is coming up. But C... See, this is all on the subject of September. Um, they talk about it, uh, school starting on September 1st. So we're getting into this book at just the perfect time. We're going to get to see, uh, and now of course, you know, we're going to finish up uh, in, let's see, probably about, okay, so this, if this is live stream number 20, we're going to finish up in probably six weeks. I guess they they get longer and longer, so it's like six, seven, like seven to ten weeks. That's my prediction. Seven to ten weeks, we'll be done with this one. But we're starting at exactly the right time. Okay, let's go. All right, quick summary, and then we're going to go into reading. While I'm doing my summary, please feel free to put anything you'd like to talk about in chat as usual, whether it has to do with um, crazy cool enormous eggs uh, being delivered, scaly eggs, or uh, anything from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which we will be commencing chapter two shortly. Um, so in chapter one, pretty straightforward, uh, Harry is sitting alone in his room at his aunt and uncle's house, as he usually does, trying to complete his homework and just sort of thinking about what his life is like. There's a lot of discussion of sort of background stuff that we know. We're familiar with the Harry Potter universe. We're, we're back in it. So just a lot of talking about things we already are familiar with. Um, he gets some mail from his best friends, um, Ron and Hermione, and from Hagrid, his best, uh, best Hogwarts staff friend? I don't know. Eh? Eh? Um, but he gets some lovely presents. He gets a, you know, a, a, a cleaning and like servicing kit for his broom because his, his Quidditch broom is very important to him. Um, he gets some news from Ron uh, that they're having a wonderful time because they won some money in basically a lottery. And uh, Hagrid has kindly sent him a sort of uh, a monstrous book of monsters. And that's where we're at. Now, um, as I'm going, please feel free to put things in chat. I love talking about the book. I love talking about it as much as I love doing the, uh, the performance itself. And, um, you know, if we can talk about it, I'll pause and talk about it. Otherwise, I will wait for a, you know, a time later on when we can talk about it in more detail. So, without further ado, Rachel, thank you very much. And let us commence on... <laughs> Chapter 2, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake. Harry went down to breakfast the next morning to find the three Dursleys already sitting around the kitchen table. They were watching a brand new television, a welcome home for the summer present for Dudley, who had been complaining loudly about the long walk between the fridge and the television in the living room. 
Dudley had spent most of the summer in the kitchen, his picky little eyes fixed on the screen and his five chins wobbling as he ate continually. Harry sat down between Dudley and Uncle Vernon, a large, beefy man with very little neck and a lot of mustache. Far from wishing Harry a happy birthday, none of the Dursleys made any sign that they had noticed Harry enter the room. But Harry was far too used to this to care. He helped himself to a piece of toast and then looked up at the reporter on the television, who was halfway through a report on an escaped convict. The public is warned that Black is extremely dangerous and armed. A special hotline has been set up and any sightings of Black should be reported immediately. No need to tell us he's no good, snorted Uncle Vernon, staring over the top of his newspaper at the prisoner. Look at the state of him, the filthy layabout. Look at his hair. He shot a nasty look sideways at Harry, whose untidy hair had always been a source of great annoyance to Uncle Vernon. Compared to the man on the television, however, whose gaunt face was surrounded by a matted elbow-length tangle, Harry felt very well-groomed indeed. All right, Rachel says, Charlie just texted me in the group chat and told me to remind you to be careful with the scales. They might fall out as the dragon begins to get ready to hatch. They hurt if you step on them. All right, one of them fell out. It looks like only one of them, um, but it was good. It, it sort of uh, adequately prepared me for how to deal with the rest of them. Um, I think this thing held up surprisingly well. Um, but thank you. I'll keep an eye on it. And uh, I'll make sure none of them get into a spot where I might step on them or anything like that. Thank you for the heads up. Uh, and you can, yeah, convey that to, to Charlie, of course, um, in the group chat. <laughs> uh, okay. The reporter had reappeared. The Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries will announce today... Uh, hang on! Barked Uncle Vernon, staring furiously at the reporter. You didn't tell us where that maniac has escaped from! What use is that lunatic can be coming up the street right now? Aunt Petunia, who was bony and horse-faced, whipped around and peered intently out of the kitchen window. Harry knew that Aunt Petunia would simply love to be the one to call that hotline number. She was the nosiest woman in the world and spent most of her life spying on the boring, law-abiding neighbors. "'When will they learn?' said Uncle Vernon, pounding the table with his large purple fist. "'That hanging's the only way to deal with these people!' "'Very true,' said Aunt Petunia, who was still squinting into the next door's runner beans. Uncle Vernon drained his teacup, glanced at his watch, and added, oh, "'I'd better be off in a minute, Petunia. Marge's train gets in at ten. Harry, whose thoughts had been upstairs with the broomstick servicing kit, was brought back to earth with an unpleasant bump. "'Aunt Marge?' he blurted out. "'She—she's not coming here, is she?' Aunt Marge was Uncle Vernon's sister. Even though she was not a blood relative of Harry's, whose mother had been Aunt Petunia's sister, he had been forced to call her Aunt all his life. Aunt Marge lived in the country in a house with a large garden where she bred bulldogs. She didn't often stay at Privet Drive because she couldn't bear to leave her precious dogs, but each of her visits stood out horribly vividly in Harry's mind. At Dudley's fifth birthday party, 
Aunt Marge had whacked Harry around the shins with her walking stick to stop him from beating Dudley at musical statues. A few years ago, she had turned up at Christmas with a computerized robot for Dudley and a box of dog biscuits for Harry. Uh, like Abbott's predictions, says, awesome. Hi. Uh, yeah, there's some awesome stuff going on. Don't know what precisely you're referring to, but, uh, glad to have you here. On Aunt Marge's last visit, the year before Harry had started at Hogwarts, Harry had accidentally trodden on the tail of her favorite dog. Ripper had chased Harry out into the garden and up a tree, and Aunt Marge had refused to call him off until past midnight. The memory of this incident still brought tears of laughter to Dudley's eyes. Marge will be here for a week, Uncle Vernon snarled, and while we're on the subject, he pointed a fat finger threateningly at Harry, we need to get a few things straight before I go and collect her. Dudley smirked and withdrew his gaze from the television. Watching Harry being bullied by Uncle Vernon was Dudley's favorite form of entertainment. Firstly, growled Uncle Vernon, you'll keep a civil tongue in your head when you're talking to Marge. All right, said Harry bitterly, if she does when she's talking to me. Secondly, said Uncle Vernon, acting as though he had not heard Harry's reply, as Marge doesn't know anything about your abnormality, I don't want any any funny stuff while she's here. You behave yourself, got me? I will if she does, said Harry through gritted teeth. And thirdly, said Uncle Vernon, his mean little eyes now slits in his great purple face. We've told Marge that you attend St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys. What? Harry yelled, and you'll be sticking to that story, boy, or there'll be trouble, spat Uncle Vernon. Harry sat there, white-faced and furious, staring at Uncle Vernon, hardly able to believe it. Aunt Marge coming for a week-long visit. It was the worst birthday present the Dursleys had ever given him, including that pair of Uncle Vernon's old socks. Well, Petunia said Uncle Vernon, getting heavily to his feet. I'll be off to the station, then. You want to come along for the ride, Dudders? No, said Dudley, whose attention had returned to the television now that Uncle Vernon had finished threatening Harry. Dudley's got to make himself smart for his auntie, said Aunt Petunia, smoothing Dudley's thick blonde hair. Mummy's bought a lovely new bow-tie. Uncle Vernon clapped Dudley on his porky shoulder. I'll see you in a bit, then, he said, and he left the kitchen. Harry, who had been sitting in a kind of horrified trance, had a sudden idea. Abandoning his toast, he got quickly to his feet and followed Uncle Vernon to the front door. Uncle Vernon was pulling on his car coat. I'm not taking you, he snarled as he turned to see Harry watching him. Like I wanted to come, said Harry coldly. I want to ask you something. Uncle Vernon eyed him suspiciously. 
Third years at Hogwarts. At my school, are allowed to visit the village sometimes, said Harry. So? snapped Uncle Vernon, taking his car keys from a hook next to the door. I need you to sign the permission form, said Harry in a rush. Pretending to Aunt Marge that I go to St. What's-It Vernon's voice. Exactly, said Harry, looking calmly up into Uncle Vernon's large purple face. It's a lot to remember. I'll have to make it sound convincing, won't I? What if I accidentally let something slip? You'll get the stuffing knocked out of you, won't you? roared Uncle Vernon, advancing on Harry with his fist raised. But Harry stood his ground. Knocking the stuffing out of me won't make Marge forget what I could tell her, he said grimly. Uncle Vernon stopped, his fist still raised, his face in ugly puce. But if you sign my permission form, Harry went on quickly, I swear I'll remember what I'm supposed to, where I go to school, and I'll act like a muck, like I'm normal and everything. Harry could tell that Uncle Vernon was thinking it over even if his teeth were bared and a vein was throbbing in his temple. Right, he snapped finally. I shall monitor your behavior carefully during Marge's visit. If, at the end of it, you've towed the line and kept to the story, I'll sign your ruddy form. He wheeled around, pulled open the front door, and slammed it so hard that one of the little panes of glass at the top fell out. Harry didn't return to the kitchen. Instead, he went upstairs to his room. If he was going to act like a real muggle, he'd better start now. Slowly and sadly, he gathered up all his presents and his birthday cards and hid them under the loose floorboard with his homework. Then he went to Hedwig's cage. Errol seemed to have recovered. He and Hedwig were both asleep, heads under their wings. Harry sighed and poked them both awake. Hedwig, he said gloomily, you're going to have to clear off for a week. Go with Errol. Ron will look after you. I'll write him a note, explaining. And don't look at me like that. Hedwig's large amber eyes were reproachful. It's not my fault. It's the only way I'll be allowed to visit Hogsmeade with Ron and Hermione. Ten minutes later, Errol and Hedwig, who had a note to Ron bound to her leg, soared out of the window and out of sight. Harry, now feeling thoroughly miserable, put the empty cage away inside the wardrobe. But Harry didn't have long to brood. In next to no time, Aunt Petunia was shrieking up the stairs for Harry to come down and get ready for welcoming their guest. Do something about your hair! Aunt Petunia snapped as he reached the hall. Harry couldn't see the point of trying to make his hair lie flat. Aunt Marge loved criticizing him, so the untidier he looked, the happier she would be. All too soon, there was a crunch of gravel outside as Uncle Vernon's car pulled back into the driveway. Then the clunk of the car doors and footsteps on the garden path.
get the door? Aunt Petunia hissed at Harry. A feeling of great gloom in his stomach, Harry pulled the door open. On the threshold stood Aunt Marge. She was very like Uncle Vernon, large, beefy, and purple-faced. She even had a mustache, though not as bushy as his. In one hand she held an enormous suitcase, and tucked under the other was an old and evil-tempered bulldog. "'Where's my dudders?' roared Aunt Marge. "'Where's my nephew, Poe?' Dudley came knocking the wind out of him, seized Dudley in one... uh... seized Dudley in a tight one-armed hug, and planted a large kiss on his cheek. Harry knew perfectly well that Dudley would only put up with Aunt Marge's hugs because he was well paid for it, and sure enough, when they broke apart, Dudley had a crisp twenty-pound note clutched in his fat fist. Petunia! shouted Aunt Marge, striding past Harry as though he was a hat stand. Aunt Marge and Aunt Petunia kissed, or rather, Aunt Marge bumped her large jaw against Aunt Petunia's bony cheekbone. Uncle Vernon now came in, smiling jovially as he, had, mm, oof, smiling jovially as he shut the door. Tea, Marge, he said. And what will Ripper take? Ripper can have some tea out of my saucer, said Aunt Marge as they all trooped into the kitchen, leaving Harry alone in the hall with the suitcase. But Harry wasn't complaining. Any excuse not to be with Aunt Marge was fine by him. So he began to heave the case upstairs into the spare bedroom, taking as long as he could. Aunt Petunia winced slightly as specks of tea and drool flecked her clean floor. Aunt Petunia hated animals. Who's looking after the other dogs, Marge? Aunt, oh, Uncle Vernon asked. Oh, I've got Colonel Thubs to managing them, boomed Aunt Marge. He's retired now, good for him to have something to do. But I couldn't leave poor Ripper. He pines if he's away from me. Ripper began to growl again as Harry sat down. This directed Aunt Marge's attention to Harry for the first time. So, she barked, still here, are you? Yes, said Harry. Don't you say yes in that ungrateful tone, Aunt Marge growled. It's damn good of Vernon and Petunia to keep you. Wouldn't have done it myself. You'd gone straight to an orphanage if you'd have been dumped on my doorstep. Harry was bursting to say he'd rather live in an orphanage than with the Dursleys, but the thought of the Hogsmeade form stopped him. He forced his face into a painful smile. Don't you smirk at me, boomed Aunt Marge. I can see you haven't improved since I last saw you. I hoped school would knock some manners into you. She took a large gulp of tea, wiped her mustache, and said, Best-rate institution for hopeless cases. I see, said Aunt Marge. Did they use the cane at St. Bernice's boy? She barked across the table. Um... Uncle Vernon nodded curtly behind Aunt Marge's back. Yes, said Harry. Then, feeling he might as well do the thing properly, he added, all the time. Excellent, said Aunt Marge. I won't have this namby-pamby wishy-washy nonsense about not hitting people who deserve it. 
Good thrashing is what's needed in 99 cases out of 100. Have you been beaten often? Oh, yes, said Harry. Loads of times. Aunt Marge narrowed her eyes. I still don't like your tone, boy, she said. If you can speak of your beatings in such a casual way, they clearly aren't hitting you hard enough. Petunia, I'd write in if I were you. Make it clear you approve of using extreme force in this boy's case. Perhaps Uncle Vernon was worried that Harry might forget their bargain. In any case, he changed the subject abruptly. Uh, have you heard the news this morning, Marge, about that escaped prisoner, huh? Sorry, quick chapter break. As Aunt Marge started to make herself at home, Harry caught himself, almost longingly thinking of life at number four without her. Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia usually encouraged Harry to stay out of their way, which Harry was only too happy to do. Aunt Marge, on the other hand, wanted Harry under her eye at all times, so she could boom out suggestions for his improvement. She delighted in comparing Harry with Dudley, and took huge pleasure in buying Dudley expensive presents while glaring at Harry, as though daring him to ask why he hadn't got a present too. He also, She also kept throwing out dark hints about what made Harry such an unsatisfactory person. "'You mustn't blame yourself for the way that the boys turned out, Vernon,' she said over lunch on the third day. If there's something rotten on the inside, there's nothing anyone can do about it. Harry tried to concentrate on his food, but his hands shook and his face was starting to burn with anger. Remember the form, he told himself. Think about Hogsmeade. Don't say anything. Don't rise. Aunt Marge reached for her glass of wine. It's one of the basic rules of breeding, she said. You see it all the time with dogs. If there's something wrong with the bitch, there'll be something wrong with the pup. At that moment, the wine glass Aunt Marge was holding exploded in her hand. Shards of glass flew in every direction, and Aunt Marge sputtered and blinked, her great ruddy face dripping. Marge! squealed Aunt Petunia. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Marge, are you all right? Oh, not to worry grunted Aunt Marge, mopping her face with her napkin. Must have squeezed it too hard. Did the same thing at Colonel Fubster's the other day. No need to fuss, Petunia. have got a very firm grip. But Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon were both looking at Harry suspiciously, so he decided he'd better skip dessert and escape from the table as soon as he could. Outside in the hall, he leaned against the wall, breathing deeply. It had been a long time since he'd lost control and made something explode. He couldn't afford to let it happen again. The Hogsmeade form wasn't the only thing at stake. If he carried on like that, he would be in trouble with the Ministry of Magic. Harry was still an underage wizard, and he was forbidden by wizard law to do magic outside school. His record wasn't exactly clean, either, 
Only last summer he had gotten an official warning that stated quite clearly that if the Ministry got any wind of more magic at Privet Drive, Harry would face expulsion from Hogwarts. He heard the Dursleys leaving the table and hurried upstairs out of the way. What a nonsense weak whistle that was. Harry got through the next three days by forcing himself to think about his handbook of do-it-yourself broom care whenever Aunt Marge stared at him. Excuse me. Harry got through the next three days by forcing himself to think about his handbook of do-it-yourself broom care whenever Aunt Marge started on him. This worked quite well, though it seemed to give him a glazed look because Aunt Marge started voicing the opinion that he was mentally subnormal. At last, at long last, the final evening of Marge's stay arrived. Aunt Petunia cooked a fancy dinner, and Uncle Vernon uncorked several bottles of wine. They got all the way through the soup and the salmon without a single mention of Harry's faults. During the lemon meringue pie, Uncle Vernon bored them all with a long talk about Grunnings, his drill-making company. Then Aunt Petunia made coffee, and Uncle Vernon brought out a large bottle of brandy. Uh, can I tempt you, Marge? Aunt Marge had already gotten quite full of wine. Her huge face was very red. Um, just a small one, then, she chuckled. A bit more than that. A bit more. That's the ticket. Dudley was eating his fourth slice of pie. Aunt Petunia was sipping coffee with her little finger sticking out. Harry really wanted to disappear into his bedroom, but he met Uncle Vernon's angry little eyes and knew he would have to sit it out. Oh, said Aunt Marge, smacking her lips and putting the empty brandy glass back down. Excellent nosh, Petunia. It's normally just a fry-up for me of an evening with twelve dogs to look after. She burped richly and patted her great tweed stomach. <clears throat> Pardon me, but I do like to see a healthy-sized boy, she went on, winking at Dudley. You'll be a proper-sized man, Dudders, like your father. Yes, I'll have a spot more brandy, Vernon. Now this one here, she jerked her head at Harry, who felt his stomach clench. The handbook, he thought quickly. This one's got a mean, runty look about him. You get that with dogs. I had Colonel Fubs to drown one last year. Ratty little thing it was. Weak. Underbred. Harry was trying to remember page 12 of his book, A Charm to Cure Reluctant Reversers. It all comes down to blood. Is it like I was saying the other day? Bad blood will out. Now I'm saying nothing against your family, Petunia. She patted Aunt Petunia's bony hand with her shovel-like one. But your sister was... Uh, a bad egg. They turn up in the best of families, then she ran off with the wastrel, and here's the result in front of us. Harry was staring at his plate, a funny ringing in his ears. Grasp your broom firmly by the tail, he thought, but he couldn't remember what came next. Aunt Marge's voice seemed to be boring him. Aunt Marge's voice seemed to be boring into him like one of Uncle Vernon's drills. This Potter, said Uncle, mm, said Aunt Marge loudly, 
seizing the brandy bottle and splashing more into her glass and over the tablecloth. You never told me what he did. Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia were looking extremely tense. Dudley had even looked up from his pie to gape at his parents. He didn't work, said Uncle Vernon, with a half-glance at Harry. Un unemployed. As I suspected, said Aunt Marge, taking a huge swig of brandy and wiping her chin on her sleeve. On no account, good-for-nothing, lazy scrounger, who— He was not, said Harry suddenly. The table went very quiet. Harry was shaking all over. He had never felt so angry in his life. Uh, more brandy, yelled Uncle Vernon, who had gone very white. He emptied the bottle into Aunt Marge's glass. You, boy, he snarled at Harry. Go to bed. Go on. Now, Vernon, hiccuped Aunt Marge holding up a hand, her tiny bloodshot eyes fixed on Harry's. Go on, boy. Go on. You're proud of your parents, are you? They go and get themselves killed in a car crash. Drunk, I expect. They didn't die in a car crash, said Harry, who found himself on his feet. They died in a car crash, you nasty little lion, left you a burden on their decent, hard-working relatives screamed Aunt Marge, swelling with fury. You are an insolent, ungrateful little— But Aunt Marge suddenly stopped speaking. For a moment, it looked as though words had failed her. She seemed to be swelling with inexpressible anger, but the swelling didn't stop. Her great red face started to expand. Her tiny eyes bulged, her mouth stretched too tightly for speech. Next second, several buttons had burst from her tweed jacket and pinged off the walls. She was inflating like a monstrous balloon, her stomach bursting free of her tweed waistband, each of her fingers blowing up like a salami. Marge! yelled Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia together, as Aunt Marge's whole body began to rise off her chair toward the ceiling. She was entirely round now, like a vast life buoy with her piggy eyes, and her hands and feet stuck out weirdly as she drifted up into the air making apoplectic popping noises. Ripper came skidding into the room, barking madly. No! Uncle Vernon seized one of Marge's feet and tried to pull her down again, but it was almost lifted from the floor himself. No, but was almost lifted from the floor himself. A second later, Ripper leapt forward and sank his teeth into Uncle Vernon's leg. Harry tore from the dining room before anyone could stop him, heading for the cupboard under the stairs. The cupboard door burst magically open as he reached it. In seconds, he had heaved his trunk to the front door. He sprinted upstairs and threw himself under the bed, wrenching up the loose floorboard and grabbed the pillowcase full of his books and birthday presents. He wriggled it out, seized Hedwig's empty cage, and dashed back downstairs to his trunk, just as Uncle Vernon burst out of the dining room, his trouser leg in bloody tatters. "'Come back in here!' he bellowed. "'Come back and put her right!' but a reckless rage had come over Harry. He kicked his trunk open, pulled out his wand, and pointed it at Uncle Vernon. 
She deserved it, Harry said, breathing very fast. She deserved what she got. You keep away from me. He fumbled behind him for the latch on the door. I'm going, Harry said. I've had enough. And in the next moment, he was out in the dark, quiet street, heaving his heavy trunk behind him, Hedwig's cage under his arm. Wonderful people, that is the end of Chapter 2 of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. That's going to be our last chapter for the night. Thank goodness this stream went well. It seemed like things stayed pretty consistent. I'm going to keep it up. I'm going to keep doing it. We've had trouble in the past. I'm going to keep doing it. If it becomes impossible and there's nothing happening that's going to change that, that's when I will have to stop. Until then, I'm going to keep giving it a shot. Which is excellent because sometimes it seems to me like it's at random. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> sometimes you have a great night like tonight. And this was a fantastic stream. Thank you all for watching. Um, I'm going to ramble on for a bit here. If you've got anything that you'd like to discuss with me, please go ahead and put it in the chat. If not, I will see you next week. If you're interested in what goes on here, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And right now, I am in the midst of a start-to-finish streaming read-through of Harry Potter, the, the entire series. Um, I do most of my uh, updates on Instagram. That's where you can find out. Uh, that's where I do my announcements for when I'm streaming. That's where I, you know, if I've got anything to uh, communicate to you guys, happens on Instagram. Um, if, by the way, there's a better or easier way for me to communicate that, my eyes got real big and creepy there for a second, go ahead and let me know. Um, but uh, yeah, after we're done here tonight, because I can't keep can't keep streaming all night, um, I'm going to put up a picture on Instagram, and that'll be the discussion thread. They're super easy to pick out. You'll be able to be able to check that out. But I am really happy with tonight's stream. Really happy we we're uh, getting into it, getting into book three. This to me is where the uh, the series really starts to get interesting. Of course, I uh, read these for the first time. Uh, I think later in life than most of my peers. But book three really starts to ramp up. Book five is my favorite, but book three is where it gets serious. Where things start to get serious. Um, thank you guys for watching. And I think, let's see. What, what's going to be my, my ending note for tonight? What should we talk about? I am gonna pull this back out. I'm just. I think I'm just gonna hold it for the last uh, few minutes of the stream here. <laughs> just gonna hold it because it makes me happy. Look at this thing. Um. I I also have to sort of keep it close by so I can listen for cracking noises. It <laughs> it actually did make a cracking noise. I think it was just from tapping against my hat, but that was that was something. All right. Um. Hmm. 
I don't know. Maybe maybe just about uh, Harry keeping his temper. He did an admirable job for most of that. He let it get away from him at the end there, but uh, he did a decent job. Here's what it's going to be. It's going to be more from Chapter 1 than Chapter 2. Um, keep up with your friends. That's the best thing I can say. Um, the the skill of keeping up with, with friends and people who are important to you, I would not consider myself to be particularly good at. Um, I don't think I'm terrible at it, but it's not something that comes to me supernaturally, it feels like. Not supernaturally. You know what I mean. Um doesn't come to me particularly naturally. I always feel like I'm I'm losing contact with people or what have you, but um, in this particular case, Hermione and Ron, you know, they you know, Ron tries one thing, he tries to call, doesn't really work, but keep up with your friends. It's important. You can you can get this sense from Harry, um, because you can sort of hear, you know, what he's thinking at the time. You can you can read and find out what he's thinking. You can hear how, how tough it's been for him to be isolated but even if you're not in a you know super isolated position sometimes it can feel kind of isolated so check on your friends make sure they're doing all right you know helping you know uh, observing the important days in their life like their birthday that can be important too but throughout the rest of the year just remember keep in contact with your friends if uh, if it seems like they're they're feeling lonely, even though you know you see them around at school, or whatever, you can ask them. Just uh, you know, ask them how they're doing, how they're really doing. Maybe it's an awkward conversation, but that's the worst that could possibly happen is an awkward conversation. And uh, you know, awkward conversations can end really well. I find that to be true with most of my Lyft drivers. That's my ender for tonight. Keep up with your friends. Make sure they're doing all right. Check in on them. You can see somebody a lot and uh, not necessarily oh, not necessarily have a, a perfect idea of, of how they're feeling. So, Ladies and gentlemen, wonderful people, thank you so much for watching. Rachel, friend of the, friend of the, uh, the streams, thank you for this fascinating gift. The egg of a Ukrainian iron belly dragon. I'm gonna I'm gonna treat this gently and uh, try not to get it too near the heat. I don't want it hatching too early. Um, that that's a whole thing by itself, though. Can you imagine a dragon uh, out in Southern California? That'd be nuts. Okay. I hope you all have a wonderful night. And to everyone who's uh, you know you're in the beginning part of the school year. Well done, and congratulations. Y'all are being heroes. Um, I hope that uh, Sunday nights can be a relaxing time for you to sort of decompress from the week and prepare for a new one. Um, but what you guys are doing is really important. I hope you I hope you don't forget that. I know it's, it's easy sometimes to slip into it and feel like it's nonsense or something that you're learning isn't useful or nothing that you're learning is useful, but that's not how it's gonna feel out on the other end. It's more useful than it feels, and uh, your hard work is going to pay off. Doesn't always feel like it, but it does. All right. Y'all are wonderful. I love you. Have a fantastic night, and I will see you next week for chapters three and four of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban.
Good night. <laughs>